Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. It is a wild Sunday for you to be a first-time guest because we are in the book of Revelation today, and uh, it is, if you haven't been to church in a while, and it's your first time back, <laughs> welcome. Uh, this is the book of Revelation, and uh, I didn't take acid, or I'm not playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, it's the Word of God, so... Um, we got quite a task as we are going to try to get through Revelation 13 as we are wrapping up our series on the end. And um, man, there are a lot of ways to look at this. Uh, and today's going to feel, I don't know if any of you guys came to our midweek Bible study, today's going to have a little bit of a midweek feel. So if you liked it, cool. If you did not like it, I apologize. Um, and if you have no clue, then carry on as usual. But uh, uh, we have a lot to get to, and there's a lot of ways that we can look at the book of Revelation. Now, there's this kind of historical viewpoint that people have that say a lot of what happened in the book of Revelation was actually uh, the prophecy was fulfilled in like the first century, and there's some historical evidence that we could look at, some things that we could look at and say, yeah, that could kind of fit. But the problem that I have with that is that a lot of those prophecies that were said to have been fulfilled in the first century were fulfilled around AD 70 when, when the fall of, uh, when the temple was destroyed, um, and a lot of things happened, and, and they say, well, that was the fulfillment of Revelation. The problem is Revelation was written about 27 years after all of that happened, so it's kind of hard to talk about prophecy if you're writing about history. And then people look at it as just a symbolic view, like there's just eternal struggle between good and evil, just really symbolic and no um, real practical application. And there's this kind of futuristic view that I look at it where at some point, whether we are in it now or not, I don't know, but what happens in Revelation, it's one Revelation, it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, it's not like the state of Illinois, it's Illinois, not Illinois, all right? Um, there's one, uh, one Illinois, one Revelation, uh, pet peeve, sorry. Um, but some people think, hey, what happens in chapter six through chapter 22 is yet to come. And that's kind of the approach that I'm taking today as we're looking at this. Now, inevitably, whenever we... Um, look at the end times, man, we always have questions about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast, right? As you're all questions that pop up. And, and these are what we're gonna try to tackle today in Revelation 13, talking about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. One of the really cool things about the book of Revelation is it starts out in a way that no other book of the Bible does. Now, Anytime we read the word of God, we're blessed. Um, Psalm 1 starts out this way. Uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There is blessing that comes when we found our life on the word of God. Revelation chapter 1 starts out really interesting. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. It's the only book that states that, hey, this specific book, that as you read this book, as you study this book, as you obey it, you're blessed because there's a time that's coming that you need to pay attention to. If you have questions about the end time, man, I suggest just getting a really solid study Bible. 
Man, stay away from people that uh, base their theology on the Left Behind series, and man, just, just study, study the book of Revelation. Um, so if you come up after me and you're like, well, actually in the second movie of Left Behind, I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, I think I saw the first one and that was it. So um, anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation 13. Um, we have notes on our app. If you don't have our app, go ahead and download it. You can sign up for baptisms. You can check out connect groups. You can give. You can uh, watch past sermon series. You can follow along. And we have a lot of notes today. And so uh, if you are uh, tech savvy and you want to use the app, go for it. If not, we'll have the notes on the screen behind me as well. But we're going to read verses 1 through 10 starting out. We're going to break this up in a couple different sections. Starts out. Chapter 13, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like that of a bear's, and the mouth like a lion's mouth. And, it, and to it, the dragon gave its power and his throne and great authority. On one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but a mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given, to, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, thanking you for your word. God, as we try to unpack the mysteries revealed in Revelation, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts to understand, open up our ears to hear what you would have for us today. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. So we are in our last week of our series, The End, and inevitably when we talk about the end times, Man, you gotta talk about the Antichrist. You gotta talk about the mark of the beast. Um, this Antichrist, this, this mysterious figure that's gonna rule the world, gonna assault the church. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not just this you know, uh, symbol, I believe, but I believe it's an actual individual um, that's going to, to come. And, and we could talk about the judgment, we could talk about the tribulation, and certainly these things fall within that, this time where God is unleashing his wrath upon the world. Um, but there's books that have been written about that, about the scrolls and the tribulation and all this stuff. And so we're gonna try to unpack Revelation 13 as much as we can. Um, as we're talking about the end times and the Antichrist, a lot of times we overlook uh, in Revelation 13, there's actually two figures, two individuals, two beasts um, and we're gonna talk about those because it's not just the Antichrist that we're talking about today, but it's also this final false prophet. But let's start with the first beast as we are looking at the Antichrist in Revelation 13. Um, as we look at the Antichrist, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it, one, Antichrist means simply anyone who is opposed to the things of God. I'm Antichrist, right? You see this, you can see this in world leaders throughout history. We talked about the first century 
Um, Nero was the, the ruler at that time, unleashing this unprecedented persecution against the church. This is why a lot of people think that some of this stuff was fulfilled in the first century because there was a persecution like they had never seen before. And um, that was absolutely true. Persecuting the Christians, killing the Christians. You could fast forward to like the Bolsheviks in the early 1900s who, who outlawed Christianity and, and established atheistic society. You could look at modern day North Korea who set up almost like a demigod worship to their leader. But it's not just these world leaders that are fall into the antichrist category, that it could just be an average guy who is against Christ. First John chapter two tells us this. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. There's small, little, lowercase a antichrists that are here, have been coming, anybody that's against God, but you know, we aren't concerned with the little a antichrist. We're like, give me the, give me the good stuff. Give me the capital A antichrist. Who is he? Who is he? It's Obama. Calm down. It's not. Um, some of you guys calm down. You need to reel it in. Stop watching Fox news. Um, uh, but we want to talk about the, the capital A antichrist. Who is this guy? Um, and now this is where we get into the second definition, the second way we look at the Antichrist, not only someone who's opposed to the things of Christ, but someone who tries to step in and usurp the place of Christ. They are against Christ, but they also try to take in the role of Christ. And we get this first picture of the Antichrist in Ezekiel 38. We're not gonna get into all that. Uh, you could look at it in Daniel chapter seven, eight, nine, I think 10 as well. Um, but then we, we just read 1 John chapter two, we see what Paul says about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So you have um, in the New Testament described as the beast, the son of lawlessness, um, the, son of, or the man of lawlessness, son of perdition, the Antichrist. Um, but it's, it's literally, when we look at this word, uh, man of lawlessness, it literally means man of sin. We look at the, the phrase that Paul uses, the son of perdition. It's someone who is doomed to eternal hell. And so we need to understand that whoever this antichrist is, um, while they, they will persecute the church, blaspheme God, um, their final destination decreed by the sovereign rule of a holy God from the foundation of the earth, their final destination is hell. It's eternal destruction. Um, God knows how this is gonna end. God knows what's gonna happen. And even though the Antichrist deceives and persecutes and blasphemes, um, we understand that God is going to reign victorious. And we could stop right there and just rest in the fact that God is going to be victorious. But again, curiosity killed a cat. We want more information on the Antichrist. And so I'll give you whatever, whatever I can. Let's go ahead and look at Revelation 13 a little bit more. Read this description John writes this, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns, seven heads, 10 diadems, crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. If you go back to Revelation chapter 12, verse three, you see that this is how Satan is described, very similar fashion. Revelation 12, three, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, 10 horns, and on his uh, head, seven diadems. So you see this similarities here. And we need to understand that the Antichrist isn't Satan, but it's someone who's empowered by Satan, someone who is, is working on his behalf, um, that, uh, that they are, are working on behalf 
of Satan. And we see out of the gate uh, that there are, you know, these 10 horns, 10 crowns. Um, and then there's these lists of animals. And if we're looking at it from this futuristic view, you have to understand that at the time, John is being given this revelation. And so this beast is described as looking like a leopard with the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion. And at the time, the ancient Greeks uh, were symbolized by a leopard. They were very swift in battle. The Persians were um, symbolized by a bear. The Babylonians were symbolized by a lion. And so what scholars believe John is describing here is this ruler who is going to unite the world and rule in, in political and military power, kind of this one government, this one rule, if you will. Um, and this was the, the idea of the beast, right? You've got these different world empires comprising fit in this one beast. And so the Antichrist is going to kind of rule and wield this global and political might. And this vision that John sees is, is terrifying. I mean, if you had a dream like that, you'd be, you know, like breaking out in a sweat and like this beast coming out of a sea and it's got multiple heads and it looks like, like you'd, be, you'd be terrified. Um, but despite how scary it is, I want us to look at a few verses, verses five through seven. I believe that the word of God um, is the inspired word of God. And these verses are in here and written the way they are for a reason. Verse five through seven of Revelation 13 says, then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe, people, and language, that the Antichrist is totally opposed to God, making war on the church, doing whatever he pleases for three and a half years. But if you look at these verses, you need to understand something, that everything that he does, he has been given authority and um, permission to do that. If my son wants to go outside, he needs to ask mom or dad. If he wants some candy, he needs to ask mom or dad. Or if you walk into our home, and it looks like a disaster. It looks like our kid is, is ruling the roost. The truth is at the end of the day, mom and dad have the final say. And as we look at the tribulation, as we look of the, at the rule of, and the, the reign, the destruction that the Antichrist is gonna bring, we need to understand that, it, that God, he is only operating in the authority that he has been granted to by God. That at no point in the tribulation is God aloof or absent. He is keenly aware of what's going on. Um, there's a lot more that we could say about that, but, I, but we need to keep going. And I wanna hit on something in verse 10. Verse 10 says, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You know, as you talk about the end times, a lot of the questions in the church are, hey, when is the church going to be raptured? When are we gonna be taken up? It's gonna be pre-tribulation? Are we gonna avoid it all? Be in the middle? It's gonna be post and you can make compelling arguments for, for these, different, uh, these different viewpoints. Um, and if you were to, to force me to give an answer, I would say it's a post-tribulation rapture. And we don't like that because we don't like tribulation. We don't like trials. But I look at this verse in verse 10 after it's talking about everything that the Antichrist is gonna do. And what does John say? Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. That our call in the, greatest midst, in the midst of the greatest suffering that the church is ever going to Endure, what are we called to do? We're called to be men and women of unwavering faith. That we're called to walk with deliberate purpose and a loyal faith in the face of suffering. Like, well, I don't like that. Well, Jesus in Matthew 24, verses nine through 13, talking about the end times, he says, then they will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
but the one who endures to what? The end will be saved. Sounds similar to Revelation 13, tribulation, death, hatred, falling away, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I think I preached the message over Matthew 24 sometime last year, so I'm not gonna repeat myself, but here's the deal. Two things. One, these positions have been debated for hundreds of years, so if you don't like my position, that's fine. Like, you don't have to leave the church. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? Like, if you're asking me for an answer, this is, I'm, I'm give, gonna give you my opinion. Um, but two, whether we, people within the sound of my voice, are going to live through the end time tribulation as described in the book of Revelation, I don't know. But what I can tell you this is that every believer is going to be assaulted with trials and temptations on a daily basis. It's true. And this, this mentality that, hey, I'm gonna have a carefree, happy-go-lucky life, man, is such an entitled mentality that is so anti the word of God, I don't even know where to begin. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that life's gonna be carefree. Now, Jesus said we enter through the narrow gate and then we walk a narrow and difficult path. And then you look through the apostles' writings, but through it all, Jesus said, hey, in this world, you will have trouble, but what? Take heart, I've overcome the world. But I'm with you through it all. And so whether it's end time tribulation or whether it's Monday, February 26th tribulation, whatever it is, the call remains the same to the church is to endure, is to have a faith that endures to the end. And some of us, we, we get in this mentality and we're like, man, you know, are, are we going to be able to remain steadfast in our faith or are we going to do what Job's wife wanted him to do and to curse God and walk away? Are we gonna say, man, what have I done to deserve this? What, here's a question we love. What kind of a loving God would allow this to happen to me? We love that question, don't we? We really like that question. Just because I asked it, I guess I'll, I'll throw out my answer on that one. What kind of a loving God would allow this tribulation and suffering to happen? It's a God who wants a purified bride. The church, the bride of Christ. That the holiest of holy gods is going to settle for nothing less than pure. And if that, those who can't endure to the end are unwilling to endure to the end, they weren't fit for the kingdom of heaven to begin with. Ephesians chapter five, verse 27 tells us that Christ will have his bride, which is the church, will have his bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish and holy without fault. How do you get that kind of bride? you gotta burn away a lot of the trash and, and scare away some of the imposters. Man, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever it is, rapture, whenever that happens, I don't know, wherever you land on the issue, that's fine. The call is still the same, that your faith is purified and endures till the end. Whether the end of your life or the end of tribulation, I don't know. But those who endure till the end will be presented to Christ holy and spotless without fault. Man, we got a lot to get to, and um, so I could keep going, but I, I won't. I think, I think I, hopefully I hit that point enough. Um, let's look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 16. Real quick, give me one second. Excuse me. Revelation 13, verse 11 through 16. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. 
It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So we focus so much on the Antichrist and who this Antichrist is that sometimes we forget the secondary figure that's gonna work in conjunction with the Antichrist. Um, and we're gonna call this one the final, final false prophets. Um, this, this final false prophet looks a lot different than the first beast. The first beast is very terrifying. Looks like a lion, a bear, um, a leopard, right? It's got, it's got these horns and, and heads and crowns and it's crazy. And it says this beast rose up and had two horns like a little lamb. I'm not super scared of a little lamb, right? I used to watch Lamb Chop, like that was like a cartoon character, right? That's like, they're not gonna make one a, a child's cartoon character of a massive beast with 10 horns and heads, right? They're gonna make a little lamb. No one's scared of a lamb. So the second final false prophet comes a lot more unassuming, but look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. And so while this final false prophet may look innocent enough, notice in, in, in chapter 13, it says he speaks like a what? Like a dragon. Well, he looks innocent, he looks unassuming, looks kind and, 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 and gentle that he speaks with the mind and the mouth of Satan. And that this final false prophet is gonna work with the beast. And while the beast is ruling in, in political and, and military might, this final false prophet tries to win the hearts and minds of the world and unite them in a common religious belief. And you see this, this is pretty common throughout like world empires. I mean, you look at the Romans where they would set up Caesar as a God, but they would also rule with political and military power. You look at it throughout history of like the successful empires would try to unite their, their people around a common religious cause as well. And so it's going to be the same in the end times. This passage tells us that the false prophet has this ability to perform miracles. And what those miracles look like, I don't know. But if you have spent any time on the internet, you know that the use of AI and technology and things like that can make a lot of things seem very realistic. Um, so whether it's um, uh, produced, whether it's manufactured, um, whether it's some minor abilities that this false prophet has, whatever it is, they're gonna be signs that are gonna cause people to turn and worship the Antichrist. But this, again, this is nothing new. You look at Exodus chapter seven, when Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Moses throws down his staff, turns into a snake. And what do Pharaoh's sorcerers and magicians do? Same thing, 7-Eleven. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers. And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same thing by their secret arts. And so what we need to understand is that while this, uh, these great signs may appear, um, it's just a counterfeit to the real power that God has. And before you say, man, this, is, this would be so obvious, I would never, I would never follow the Antichrist. I would never believe this false prophet, ever. You can see some mild conditioning happening now just through social media. Um, if you look at the influencers and people that some of you probably follow or pay attention to, there's probably a lot more. But if I were to say like Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson, love him or hate him, whatever, some of you guys buy everything they sell. You're on board. Neither one of these men are Christian, by the way, but you buy everything they sell and you think that, they, that everything, everything they speak is, is truth. And so you mean to tell me that if someone rose to power 
and started scratching the backs of everyone and meeting the needs of everyone, made a treaty with Israel that there wouldn't be some people who thought they were Christians. That's, that's, the, that's the guy we need to follow. That's the guy right there. Do you think Satan's that dumb? Man, he's been fooling people since, since the beginning of time. So before we think, man, too obvious, Michael, it's not gonna happen, then we need to check ourselves. We need to understand that Satan is a deceiver, the father of lies, and then if he's been lying to people, he can cause you to stumble and fall as well. But here again, the call that John gives us in, in Revelation chapter one, bless those who listen and pay attention to this prophecy. Why? So you're readying yourself for when these times come. So you aren't deceived. So you're aware of what's happening. And this is the call that John gives us as he's writing this book. But everything that Satan is doing in these end times is just establishing just a, a false and unholy mockery of what God has already established. If you look at Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, you see this. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. You have this unholy trinity that's being established here. If you look in Revelation chapter seven, verse three, you see God sealing his saints. In Revelation 13, you see those following the mark sealed with a mark of the beast. You have this unholy sealing. In um, Revelation chapter 19, verse seven and eight, you see God's purified bride dressed in white. Then you get to Revelation 17, and you see a prostitute dressed in scarlet and crimson, this unholy church that's been established, unholy religion that's been established. That everything that's happening here is just a mockery and an attempt to mimic what God has already established. But here's the cool thing, that Satan has no ability to create life, and so it all ends in death. That everything that he's doing in these end times, while yes, it's an attack, it's an assault on Christ and his church, that it ends in death. And so as we're wrapping up today, man, I wanna hopefully leave you guys with something a little bit higher note um, to go out on. So let's talk about the mark of the beast. Um, let's go out on a high note. Everyone high-fiving as we leave. <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. Also, it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and that number is 666. So we'll look at this real quick in two different ways. One, from a historical uh, viewpoint, because I think it's important not to overlook the historical context, and two, from a spiritual side as well. So as we look at it from history, um, if you guys are familiar with Roman numerals, right, the, the Latin language that you have these, these letters that represent numbers. You have X represents 10, 5 represents or V represents five, I represents one, so on and so forth. Um, that it's similar in Greek and Hebrew as well, that you have letters that represent numbers. And so I'm looking at this number and I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Someone in the back's like, it's the COVID vax. Calm down back there, right? Um, they're gonna turn on the nanobots, slow, slow down. Like, um, no. Uh, and so I'm like, what is, this, what is this number about? Like, what is, what's going on? Now, historically, it's not, um, unheard of for people to mark themselves and, and denote allegiance to somebody by marking their body. So Hebrew slaves would voluntarily, if they want to commit their service to a family, they would, they would puncture their ear as a sign that, hey, I'm committed to this family. 
You look at World War II where the, the Nazis tattooed numbers on uh, the people in the concentration camps. Um, you can look at different religions where they mark themselves, denoting themselves they follow uh, a certain religion or sect. So historically, like this isn't uncommon. But if we're looking at this in the original language, I pulled this out of, like quoted this out of a, a concordance so I wouldn't misquote it, but it's really interesting. It says 666, a mystical number, the meaning of which is clear when it's written in Hebrew. So you translate it to Hebrew and it actually translates to Nero Caesar. Um, and so, so we see that if you translate it in the Hebrew, um, there's actually some old, if you go back in history, um, it, there's typos, if you will. And this number is, is a typo, it's 616. But if you translate 616 into Greek, it's still Nero Caesar. So they think maybe there's a potential that they did that intentionally so the Greek readers would understand the same thing that the Hebrew readers are saying. But that's all historical. So what does that mean spiritually? What I think it means spiritually is we're looking at this number of 666. One, it falls completely short of God's number, which is seven, right? God's holy and perfect number, which is seven. Um, but two, I think John, in, in getting this revelation of the end times, remembers what happened to the believers in Rome in the persecution that they suffered. And so in, in this way to give them a heads up, say, hey, remember what you suffered under Nero. Remember the persecution either allegiance to Nero or death, allegiance to Nero or, or exile, and allegiance to Nero or you're not able to, to buy and sell for your family. That same thing is gonna happen on a bigger scale in the end times. Like that's, that's the Michael Ballard translation of that. So take it what you will. But if we wanna talk about it spiritually, this number, it simply denotes that we don't trust God enough to come through with what he said he's gonna do that it's a form of idolatry in its purest sense that we take the mark of the beast because we don't trust that God is going to fulfill his promises towards us. That we say, no, 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 I'm going to gain some temporary relief, but I'm going to forsake my eternal salvation. Right, that, that we pledge allegiance to the antichrist or we forsake God. Right, this mark is showing that, that people will be faithful up to the point where true tribulation and suffering happens. And it's not something that we need to scoff at or be like, you know, bat our eyes at or whatever because Revelation 14 talks about this mark a little bit more. Revelation 14 verses nine through 11 says this, and another angel, a third angel followed him saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. There it is, there again, the mark. Listen to verse 10. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath pulled full strength into the cup of his anger and will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and whoever receives the mark of his name. What this mark looks like practically, physically, if you want an answer, I don't know. Right, stay away from people that'll be like, it's this, it's that, it's that, I don't know. But I know if there comes a time where it's saying, hey, you take this mark or you suffer the consequences, are we gonna have a faith that endures? That's gonna trust God. It's called tribulation for a reason. It's not meant to be easy. But I want you to read something else. So I stopped at verse 11 in chapter 14. I want you to read verse 12 and here it is again. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There it is again, what's the call? Endurance, a perseverance 
of your faith. Man, throughout the entire book of John, John is revealing these, uns we, currently we fight against spiritual battles that we can't see. John is revealing something that's going to take place that we will be able to see, an assault on God, an assault on his church, and he's revealing these realities that the church is engaged in. Here's the wonderful news though. Christ still is going to be victorious. He's still going to reign supreme. And we're, we're blessed when we read this book because it steadies our soul and prepares us for what's to come. Again, whether we live through the tribulation revelation, I don't know. But I do know that you guys are going to experience trials and temptations every day of your life. And the call is the same. It's to endure. It's to have a faith that lasts. As John tells us here, as Jesus gives us in Matthew 24, endure, stay pure. And then as Paul writes in Romans 12, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Man, no matter what comes your way, we're in a series over the end times, so it makes sense that we talk about tribulation, but no matter what comes your way tomorrow or Tuesday, when you go home this afternoon, no matter what comes your way, man, hate what is evil. Cling tightly to what is good and have a faith that endures till the end because those who endure to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through scripture. God, I pray that as we study your word, now, we don't just read it and put it away and just walk away, God, but we hide your word in our hearts. God, so when temptation comes, when trials come, God, we're able to hold on to your promises. God, that you would do a work in us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.